Welcome back to Menzo Pass. I'm Biko Martin. I'm your host. I'm excited to have you back. So this is lesson five of this webinar, this mini course on how to pass your life and health insurance exam. So we've gone through a lot of the lessons so far. So this lesson we're on is practice questions. Because one of the things we do here at Menzo Pass that separates us from all of the exam prep providers out there, we do not stress studying. We stress take practice questions, take practice questions, as many practice questions as you can. If you can even do up to 1,000 questions, that is even better. All of the students who pass the exams, they've done at minimum. 750 practice questions. So you can never go wrong with too many practice questions, but you can definitely go wrong with too few practice questions. So that is what we're gonna do. So we're gonna break this up into two parts. We're gonna start with life insurance, practice questions with explanations. Then after that, we're gonna to go to health insurance, practice questions and explanations. Now, as I told you in the previous lesson, and I'm sorry, I still have not finished my wine yet. So as I told you in the previous uh, lesson, or I think it was two lessons, that what we do is we go to the exam outline because every state has an exam outline. So we go to the state's exam outline, in this case for life and health insurance, and we structure our questions based on the state exam outline. So what you're gonna learn here in these questions is more general insurance because your insurance exam will be divided into two parts. You have the general portion and you have the state portion. So what you're learning here is the general insurance portion. This one is gonna to apply to every state, okay? So we're gonna go through it now. So our strategy is TADS. Now, 20, that means 80% of your time should be spent doing practice questions, practice questions, practice questions. What I'm going to share with you is just a sample of some of the practice questions we have. I think about a total of between 40 and 50 questions, okay? That's just a sample. We have thousands of questions. If you want, you can get 1,000. You can have 1,500 questions. It's all up to you. But the more questions you get, the more prepared you are going to be for your exam. That is what we're gonna do. So we're gonna do questions and questions and questions. Now, what you're gonna see on the questions is, and this is how our exam prep works. We're gonna start you off with multiple choice questions. Then uh, that will be phase one. So after you do the multiple choice questions, then the next phase, of your training will be on active, re active retrieval, right? So now you're not doing recognition learning because when you do multiple choice, it's more um, learning by recognition, which is okay too. And that's also a little bit of active, but it's not 100% active learning. Active learning is where you're actively, uh, your brain is actively trying to recall information. And when your brain is doing that, it goes in a hard drive. That is where your brain learns the most. 
So we're going to start with multiple choice questions. We don't have time to do the uh, fill in the blank and the essay questions, the short answer questions. So we're just going to do multiple choice for now. But in the actual exam, um, the actual exam prep course, what we do is we start with multiple choice questions. Then we'll go on to fill in the blank and short answer questions. Because now, if it's fill in the blank, you either know it or you don't. There is no way to guess. And that's how we train our students because we want to make sure that your practice is harder than the actual exam. And that is why 100% of our students pass because our practice questions are harder than the actual exam. So you get prepared. You are super prepared. And when you go to take the exam, it's a piece of cake. That's what we're going to do. But again, in this case, we're not going to go to um, short answer questions and we're not going to go to fill in the blank questions because of time. But in the actual exam prep course, that's one of the things we do. So now that's a way for us to see if you really understand the material. Because if we give you the short answer and let's say you score 90 on the essay, uh, on the multiple choice. Well, you go to sh short answers and you're scoring 20%. That tells us that you really didn't know the material. And here's the trick. If you don't really understand the core concepts, that is when you go in the testing center and you end up picking the wrong answer, right? Because the test can be very tricky, even though it's not too difficult, but it's very tricky. So you really have to understand the core concepts those are the most testable, uh, most frequently tested concepts on the exam. You have to know that very well. So that's why we train our students to also do fill in the blank and short answer questions because that one, once you know it off the top of your head and you can retrieve it, there is no way that they're going to twist that question to make you get, guess the wrong answer. So that's what we're going to do. So uh, without further ado, let's start with life insurance. So I'm going to switch from you know, my screen. So you're not going to see me. I'm going to switch to my document camera. And uh, we're going to do this one question at a time. All right. So let's get started. Let me go ahead and share my computer screen here with you. All right. Uh, what's happening here? That's not what I want. All right. Uh, <laughs> technology. Just hold on one minute here. Let's see what's going on. All right. So here we have this question. All right. So this is for life insurance. Question number one says, what is the best course of action an agent should take if an applicant did not sign an application and he, the agent, is just realizing it? Again, on your exam, you want to read the question very, very carefully. Okay? Read the question very, very carefully. Let's uh, read this one more time. Okay? Uh, Let's read this one more time here to just make sure you get this. So it says, what is the best course of action an agent 
For exam purposes, know that an agent equals a producer, okay? So on the exam, even though agent means the same as producer, but they're gonna use them interchangeably. So on the exam, know that agent is the same as producer. All right. So they're not gonna ask you, but they're gonna say um, a producer did X, Y, Z. So you're gonna have to know uh, that they're referring to an agent. So a producer, yeah, should take, what is the best course of action a producer should take if an applicant did not sign an application, okay? Because sometimes that happens. Um, clients forget to sign their application. That That is normal. He just realizes it. So ASA signed the application and the test, it was the agent. B says, let the insurer receive the application with written communication about the absence of signature. C says, let, let the applicant sign the application before submitting it to the insurer. D says, sign the application for the applicant. So what is the correct answer? So what are they trying to uh, get to here? So what you have to know is that anytime there's any error on the application, the, the applicant needs to fix that error and they need to initiate, right? So in this case, the best answer would be let the applicant sign the application before submitting it to the insurer. So you, as an agent, that is why you should inspect the application before submitting it to the insurer. So if you notice that the applicant did not sign because by law, the applicant is supposed to sign and the insurer will not approve the application unless it is signed by the applicant, all right? So if you know that, and you discover that, you cannot submit that application as an agent. You have to take it back to the applicant for the applicant to sign. A is not correct because it says sign the application and attest it was the agent. You, as the agent, you can sign the application in your capacity as an agent, but you cannot sign the application for the applicant. That is, that is considered fraud. You cannot do that. So we know that A is incorrect. Then B says, let the insurer receive the application with written communication about the absence of signature. Now they say, what is the uh, best, the key word is best course of action. So sometimes you have two right answers, but which one is the best answer? So this one could be a possibility if C was not an option, all right? But if you've already discovered it, right, uh, before you submit to the insurer, then the applicant, has to sign it. So B would not be correct. And D says sign the application for the applicant. You as the agent can never, 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 ever sign the application for the applicant. That is fraud. That is not allowed. So let's come here to our explanation. It says correct answer C. The, applic the application must have all appropriate and authorized signatures before reaching the insurer. 
more on required signatures. The agent and proposed insured, including the applicant policyholder, is different from the proposed insured. So sometimes on life insurance applications, the insured and the applicant will be different. So an example of that would be a parent um, getting a policy on behalf of their child, right? So in that case, the parent would be the applicant, but the child would be the proposed insurer. So now, in that case, the, the parent will still have to sign as both the, you know, the guardian um, or parent of the insured and they will have to sign for themselves as the applicant. We can also have a case where the applicant and the insured are different. That usually comes about in business uses of life insurance. So sometimes businesses will get insurance on their key employees. So in that case, the business will be the uh, the business will be the applicant, and the key employee will be the insured. So the key employee is going to sign separately, and then the um, applicant, which is the business, is going to sign. But most of the time, in my experience for life insurance, I've seen it about 90 to 95% of the time, the applicant and the insured are the same. All right. So it says the agent and the proposed insured, including the applicant, policyholder is different from the proposed insured must sign the application before submitting to the insurer, all right? So all parties uh, on that application must sign. So the, the insurer, so these are the people who have to sign, okay? Let me write here. So people who need to sign. People who need to sign life insurance application. And please forgive my writing. I'm a pharmacist by profession. So uh, there's a joke that says people in, in the medical field have terrible handwriting. Uh, that's true. Uh, so these are the people who need to sign the life insurance application, okay? So number one, you have the agent. And what is another name for agent? I just said it, producer, good. So the agent and the producer or the agent slash producer, the insured, if the insured is different from the applicant, okay? If, let's just put different from applicant. Then you have the insured. Now, if the insured is a minor, the insured cannot sign because they are not a competent party. They are, um, they are a minor. So in that case, the parent is going to sign uh, as the guardian. So the agent is going to sign, the insured is going to sign, um, and uh, I'm sorry, the year, the applicant is going to sign. Okay, so, so these are the three people that are going to sign the uh, application, all right? Now, when the policy is issued, then, um, then the insurer is going to sign. Um, is going to sign off on that policy. But for test purposes, these are the three uh, These are the three parties that must sign an insurance application. The agent. Another name for the agent is the producer. The insured. Who is the insured? 
The insured is the person whose life uh, is being um, underwritten, right? So it's the person who has to die before claims are paid off. So in this case, for life insurance, it's the person who must experience the loss. In this case, it's going to be death. It's the person who must experience that loss before claims can be paid out. So life insurance, the proposed insurance is this person who has to die before death benefits are paid out. In the case of health insurance, the insurer will be the person who has to experience a loss, in this case, um, accident or sickness, in order for claims to be paid out. Now, as I said earlier, most of the time, the insured and the applicant, in my experience, 90 to 95% of the time, they are the same um, individual, okay? And then the last person that needs to sign is the applicant. This is the person who's applying for the, um, for the policy. Now, the applicant, again, will usually be the same as the policy owner. And the policy owner is the person who owns the policy. That's just what it says, right? Um, policy of the rights to the policy. I have never seen a case where the applicant is different from the policy holder. I mean, I've been in this business 12 years. I've never seen it. So most of the time, they're just going to the applicant slash policy owner. Another name for policy owner is policy holder. Policy holder. Again, for exam purposes, you have to know all of these um, things. You no, know? um, policy holder is another name for policy owner. Agent. It's another name. It says, note, the only time or exception the proposed insured cannot or is not allowed to sign the application would be a parent or guardian signing for a minor who is the proposed insured, okay? So the proposed insured always has to sign. All right. Now we have that down. So we're down with one question. Next, let's come to question number it says when a delivery when delivering this is a typo when delivering a policy to a policy owner slash policy holder all of the following are responsibilities of an agent except so this is where you have to know for questions that are except on your exam right about 33% of questions on your exam will have um, the word accept incorrect, um, false, but it's going to be in the negative. Which of the following is uh, incorrect? So now you have to find all of the right answers to be able to uh, rule out the wrong answer. So a third of the questions on your exam will have to work except not incorrect or false. Those ones tend to be a little more tricky than just the straightforward um, in question. So in this case, you have to know what are the duties or responsibilities of an insurer, uh, you know, um, of, of an agent when that agent is delivering a power. So let's go here to the answer choices. A says collect due premiums. Uh, B says share information 
school commissions earned from sources. C says explain policy provision and riders. D says explain the rating procedures if rated differently other than apply for. So here yeah, we're looking for what is the wrong answer, which of the following is not a duty of let's come here. As the agent is your responsibility to collect premiums. When asked a lot of the applications were still done uh, um, go ahead the old school way manually you had to fill you know, the, then you then you check uh from the client then you take that to the post office you you you, you send a certified mail with delivery receipt um i'll say last four years i've not done a single manual policy to fill out a fiscal copy everything is done online and, and electronically so you don't have to worry about that but um even online you still have to get the the routing number and enter that into the online application, all right? But it's your responsibility as an agent to collect premiums. He says share information on commissions earned from selling policies. No, it is not your responsibility to share your commissions. So we know that B is the wrong answer. C says explain policy provisions, exclusions, and riders. So when you're delivering the policy to your client, yes, it's your responsibility during delivery to explain everything that that client has in your client, including the provisions, exclusions, and riders. And you also have responsibility to explain you know the rating procedure if the policy was written differently they apply for so i'll give you an example so i have one of my clients uh and i apply for a million coverage for her the insurance company uh wrote back and said uh-uh based on her income she only qualifies for six hundred and fifty thousand. this was just a few months ago uh based on her income she only qualifies for six hundred and fifty thousand. so the insurance uh no the insurance company uh sent her an amendment letter she had to sign in order to uh make that um no uh not to for new policy to take effect right so when i went to deliver the policy to her i had to explain to her oh i know remember what we talked about you apply for one million dollars coverage but uh the insurance company approved 650 yeah, uh, I said you have to explain everything to her. Or sometimes, uh, sometimes the client you may apply uh, for a preferred rating for the client, but the insurance company may rate them as you know may, may rate them as standard risks, right? You have to explain that to the client. So those are all responsibilities of an agent so now if you are using this for study you know, okay your responsibility of as an agent is to call premium your responsibility is to explain the policy to your client and to also explain any written uh, procedure so anything you see explain or you have to explain things uh to your client okay let's come back here to the feedback it says 
The answer is again is B. It says explain policy provisions, riders, not policy provisions, exclusions, riders, as well as factors that impact buildings and collecting due premiums are all the responsibilities of a producer. The producer also have to make sure the applicant signs the application before submission. Again, that is your responsibility, right? So another name for a producer is a field underwriter. Why is a producer called a field underwriter? This might be on your exam, okay? A producer is also considered a field underwriter. Why? Because the producer is serving as the insurance company's um, representative, and you are evaluating the risks, right? Agents report. So in your agents report, you're going to give your assessment, um, your confidential uh, assessment of this client. You know, do you think when client submitted the application, was the client under the influence of uh, drugs or alcohol? Um, did you get the impression the client will tell you the truth? All, all those little things, you, know, you have to collect information from the client, like your driver license information, all those things. You have to are an underwriter, but on the food because you're out there on um talking to clients and getting all this information out there in the real world getting information from people says the eight always consider the few underwriter so these are some of the responsibilities of the few underwriter again Who's a few underwriter? A producer. Who is a producer? An agent. All right. So your responsibility, uh, number one, is to deliver the policy. Most of the time, the insurance company will mail you the policy, and then you take that to the client and then um, deliver that to the client. And then it's your requirement to any required process is your responsibility to make sure the client signs and then when you go to uh, deliver the policy there's something called a delivery receipt so you also have to be able to make sure that the client um, fills uh, no the client signs that um, delivery receipt okay then you have to solicit insurance now this is your responsibility. So solicit means you go out there trying to get people to you know, buy insurance. Then you, you collect any initial premiums, right? So it's your responsibility as the agent to collect just the first premium, okay? Um, or you have to worry about once the policy is approved, once the policy is approved, then everything goes um, no, everything becomes the insurance company's uh, responsibility. There is a responsibility to issue any receipt if applicable. So you as the agent, when you go to uh, take the application, if the client gives you a check with the application, that means the first premium, or sometimes they'll pay more than the first premium. Some, some clients can pay 
an entire year's premium in advance, right? But if the client gives you that, um, if the client gives you that first premium check, then it is your responsibility to make sure that you issue them something called a condition receipt. And we're going to go into that in the details later. But that conditional receipt does them, uh, you know, it makes the effective date the date of the application. So if let's say you get the conditional receipt from them on June 1st and the policy was approved uh, September 1st, then the effective date of your policy will be June 1st because that's when you got the conditional receipt from them, right? And they pay their first premium. But if they did not pay any premium uh, with their application, they did not submit any um, uh, premium with the application, then the effective date will be the date that the policy was issued, okay? So you're going to see that on your exam, if effective date, when is conditional receipt issued? Conditional receipt is issued. Uh, upon completion of the application if money is received of the application so anytime a client gives the agent money along with the application the client you know the agent must issue a conditional receipt and if the application gets approved and your policy gets issued then your policy will become effective on the date of that conditional receipt which is the date of the application but if there was no conditional receipt meaning no money was issued with their policy, not money was given with their policy and their effective date, that is date uh, their coverage, the start date of their coverage, then that effective date be, um, becomes the date that the policy was issued. So that one I can guarantee you 100% will be on the exam. It's actively work to prevent adverse like people who are um, more likely to need insurance, right? People who need insurance are the ones who are more likely to seek it out. So for example, people who are um, terminally ill will be more likely to be interested in getting life insurance than um, the healthy, normal people, right? Because someone who is healthy and normal it's not going to be thinking about death, but someone who is um, terminally ill has death on their mind and they probably have a family and they want to leave something behind, uh, behind for their family. That's adverse selection. Adverse selection just means you know, that there's a higher probability for people who, are, uh, who need insurance, right? Who are at higher risk of, of loss for them to get insurance. And you have, if you have too many of those people getting insurance, then that's adverse selection for the insurance. Adverse meaning is bad selection because now if the insurance company selects too many of those people, they will uh, end up paying too many claims and go bankrupt. So as, an, as a few underwriter, as an agent, it's your responsibility to work actively to prevent adverse selection. Now, I talked about the agent's report. So in your application, when you fill out, when a client fills out the application, you're going to have two parts to the application. You have your uh, part one, which will be your general information about the client, what's their, um, what's their address, their date of birth, um, all of that, right? Uh, their social security number, you know, your, your income, your job, and all of that stuff. 
Um, so you're going to have that um, in section one. Then part two is going to be the medical information, your health, you know, their health histories, do they have any surgeries in the last 10 years, all those things, right? Do they have HIV? Do they have cancer, high blood pressure? They're going to ask them a bunch of medical questions. So the medical history comes in part two. The third part of the application is the agent's report. That is where you as the agent, and what's another name for agent? Producer. And what's the third name for an agent? Or second name for an agent? Few underwriter. Perfect. You got it right. So as the few underwriter, you now will provide your confidential assessment of that client in your um, in your agent's report. And the only person who can see that agent's report is the insurance company. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more about that agent's report. So the agent's report allows the agent to exercise his or her few underwriting role. That's what I just said. It allows the agent to confidentially report his or her personal observations about the proposed insured to the insurer. Uh, the agent's report is attached to the application, but is not considered a part of the application. Not a part of the, uh, so it's attached to the application, but it's not considered a part of it. Why? Wow, this is very key. So, so you as the agent, you're going to fill that um, um, report out and attach it to the application and send it to the insurer. The insurer, what's another name for insurer? Insurance company. So insurer is just the insurance industrial lingo for insurance company. Every profession, <laughs> every industry has their own lingo. They have their own jargons, right? So for exam purposes, you have to know this because on the exam, they may not say insurance company. Most of the time, they're going to say insurer. They won't say agent. They're going to say uh, producer. So you have to know these, um, you know, these insurance um, jargons. But the agent attaches that agent's report and sends it to the insurer. Once the insurer processes that application and approves it, then the insurer is going to attach any other, you know, like uh, they're going to attach the actual policy to that application, excluding the agent's report uh, with any riders, any amendments, and that entire package, the application, Again, the agent's report is not considered a part of the application. It's attached to the application while sending it to the insurer, but the insurer doesn't send that back to the client. Okay, so the insurer will make a copy of the client's application and attach it to the actual policy with any riders and amendments and send that to the client. So the riders, amendments, um, a copy of the application, and client's policy makes up the entire contract, okay? So for test purposes, the entire contract includes the application, not the agent's report, because it gets a little tricky. They may say, they may include agent's report there to, um, to trick you. The agent's report technically is not part of the application. It's attached to the application while the agent submits it, or the agent submits it along with the application, but it's not part of the application. So the, uh, the actual application, which is just part one, two. So the application 
riders, any amendments, and the actual policy, those four things go together to make the entire contract. That is probably going to be on your exam. All right. So the agent's report is attached to the application, but it's not considered a part of the application. All right. Let's come here to the next one. Uh, let's see here. All right. So it says, number three says, the transfer of risk can be termed as what? Okay. So transfer of risks. it says A, insurance, B, loss, C, hazards, D, risks. The transfer of insurance is always, uh, transfer of risks is always um, considered insurance, okay? Because anytime you get insurance, you are transferring your risks you're transferring the uh, risks of financial loss from you to the insurance company. If I'm insuring my loans or I'm insuring myself, let's say for life insurance, right? I'm transferring our risks of financial loss because God forbid, if I die, there's a, that's a financial loss to my family, right? Because there's loss of income for, I don't know, uh, 10, 20, 30 years, right? So now, Instead of my family being responsible for that, instead of me being responsible for that, I'm transferring that financial loss or the risks of that financial loss to the insurance company, right? And then the insurance company, I'll pay them premium for them to cover that. So anytime you're transferring risks from you to someone else, that is considered insurance. So when you think insurance, think transfer, risks transfer, risks transfer. So it's very simple. So the correct answer here will be insurance risks. All right. So now let's go to these options. What is loss? Loss is just something that must happen before a claim occurs. Uh, no, um, before um, a claim can be filed and issued. So for example, in the case of life insurance, a loss will be your death, right? So you die, that loss must occur before the insurance company can pay out claims. The claims in this case would be what? Um, the death benefit. Hazard. Hazard is just anything that increases risk. And you have three different types of hazards. You have physical, moral, and morale. Uh, M-O-R-L-E. Again, I'll go into details in that in the actual course. Uh, but those are three hazards. Okay. And risks. What is risks? On the exam, these are the easy questions uh, <laughs> on the exam, okay? Because when you start your exam, uh, it's going to st uh, start like a curve, right? Uh, is that a curve or I don't know how you call that, uh, a hill or something? So when you start the exam, it's going to start off very easy, right? Then it's going to go, go up in the middle of the exam. It's going to get very difficult. And then towards the end of the exam, it's going to start to get you know, easier and easier and easier and start to send you easy questions. So in the beginning of the exam, these are you know, the first maybe 30 minutes or so. These are the kind of questions you're going to get. It'll be very easy. So you get these kind of questions. Do not even spend more than 45 seconds on them. You know? Answer them quick, quick, quick. And get them out of the way. So Rick's. It's just the uncertainty of a loss. So anytime there's uncertainty of a loss, that is a risk. So uh, now you have two types of risks. You have speculative risks 
That is anytime there's a chance for a gain. So for example, if I'm gambling, there's a chance I could you know, win a lot of money, right? And there's also a chance I could lose all of my money. So insurance company usually does not cover those kinds of risks, you know, any risks where there's a chance for financial gain. Insurance company only covers something called pure risks. So pure risks, anytime there's zero chance of financial gain. So for example, if I die, there is zero chance of financial gain for me, right? So insurance company will cover that, but they won't cover me taking investment risks because there's you know, a chance of financial gain, right? So these are just general terms. Again, it's very simple. What I'm explaining to you, pretty much that's about all you need to know about those general insurance terms. All right, let's come back here to our feedback. Um, answer A, now correct answer is A, insurance. It says um, here that the transfer of, of a risk of loss from one party to another, namely an insurer, is insurance. What's another name for insurer? Insurer equals insurance company. So guys, please use to using the uh, insurance um, jargons, okay? So just start, don't say insurance company, start saying insurer. So when you get to the testing center, uh, it's going to become second nature for you, okay? Then it says conditions that increase the probability of loss are termed hazards while perils are causes of loss. So a peril is anything that causes a loss. So for example, let me get a sip of water in my throat is, <clears throat> my throat is dry. All right. So a peril, no, a, a, a peril is the cause of a loss, right? So, so say for example, it's raining and, and, I'm, and I'm driving, um, you know, and it's raining and God forbid I get involved in an accident and I die. So the peril was what caused that loss, right? Uh, because it was not, uh, I'm sorry, the, well, well, rain, rain could be a hazard because it increased the chance of the accident, but the actual cause of the my death was the accident, right? So the accident will be considered a peril, right? My death will be considered the loss, and then the rain will be considered a hazard because the rain was what increased my chance of that accident. Or say if I was speeding, you know, speed limit is let's say 50 miles an hour and I'm going 100 miles an hour. Uh, I have a confession to make. <laughs> okay, I probably don't want to get myself in trouble. All right, but eh, all of us have gone above the speed limit at some point in, in our life. If, if you say no, you're a liar. <laughs> so, so, so again, you have to know these terms. Know what is hazard. Again, hazard, anything that increases risk. Loss uh, is, uh, no, loss is uh, what must happen before a claim can be filed. Then risk is the uncertainty of um, loss. And you have 
you have two types of risks. You have speculative and pure risks. Insurance companies only cover pure risks. Okay, you have to know that for your exam. So, so pure risks is covered covered by insurance. Speculative risks is not is 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 not covered. So let's do it. Uh, the insurance transaction. What includes insurance transaction for test purposes? So insurance transaction includes advising people about insurance coverage or claims, all right? Or selling insurance. Uh, you're trying to put into effect insurance contracts or you're trying to negotiate insurance business or trying to solicit insurance business. So any of those four things will be considered insurance transaction. So in order to be engaged in any insurance transaction, you must be licensed in that state. So these four things include insurance transaction, again, advising people about their insurance coverage. So you, you cannot advise anyone legally about their insurance coverage or claim if you're not licensed, because that's considered uh, an insurance transaction. You cannot sell insurance to anyone if you're not licensed. You cannot negotiate insurance this if you're not licensed. You cannot solicit insurance business if you're not licensed. So you need to know those four things for your test purposes. All right, let's move on. And I'm sure you're hearing something like a um, helicopter in the background. I'm in Washington, D.C., so that's um, that's Marine One I'm taking Joe Biden to the White House. I don't live too far from the White House. All right, so come here to question number four. It says, receiving a preferred risk classification qualifies an applicant for which of the following? A, higher than normal premiums. B, payable dividends for lack of claims. C, lower premiums than a standard risk classification. D, higher premiums than a standard risk classification. So let's, let's read this um, question one more time. Receiving or preferred, first of all, you have to know what is preferred risk, okay? Receiving or preferred risk classification qualifies an applicant for which of the fund? Higher than normal premiums, payable dividends for lack of premiums, lower premiums than a standard risk classification, higher premiums than a standard risk classification. Well, we know that for, for preferred risks, right? Um, preferred risks is the best rating class. That means you're better than average. You know? Your health is better than the average person. Um, you, know, you have clean um, criminal history. You don't have any speeding tickets. Everything is perfect, right? So that's preferred. So they're gonna charge you um, um, a lower premium. The same way with car insurance, those who have perfect driving record, always end up paying a whole lot less than those who have um, um, those who have bad driving record, right? So it's the same thing with life insurance. Let me take a sip of water, guys. <coughs> I'm not sure why my throat keeps getting dry, you know, so so fast. All right. 
So, so, so we know that if this person was uh, was issued preferred rating classification, right? Because when the underwriter receives the application, um, they can either accept it. <coughs> excuse me. They can either accept it or deny it. But if they're going to um, accept it, then they can offer three rating classifications. It can either be preferred, it can be um, it, it can be standard, or it can be um, or or it can be substandard. Or another name for that is is rated. All right. So so we know that the premiums will not be higher. The premiums will actually be lower. So we know A is wrong. We know payable dividends or lack of claims. Now these. This answer choice is just a filler. It doesn't make any sense. They just threw that there for people who didn't, um, you know, for those who didn't study and who don't know it. So, so we know that is wrong. Um, then lower premiums, um, then a standard rates classification, yep, because it's preferred it will be lower premium. Um, uh, let's see here, then higher premiums, then a standard rates. No, it's gonna be lower premiums. All right, let's come here and read the feedback. It says, um, I can say again, C, it says individual with better than average medical history, physical conditions, habits, lifestyle, and lifestyle are categorized as preferred risks. Due to this, they may they pay a much lower premium than standard risks. When the insurance underwriting department receives an application, they can either decline or accept the risks. If they accept an applicant, that applicant will receive one of the following three ratings. AA, number one, standard. So average medical history, physical condition, lifestyle, and habits based on their age group, right? And then these people pay normal premiums. Then substandard rates are also called rated or premium rated up, right? So the name for standard, they may not say substandard, but they may say rated. So you have to know what that means. Rated or premium rated up, they all mean substandard. So these people are worse than the average medical history. Let's say you expect someone who's in the 30s to have high blood pressure and high cholesterol, right? Now, does that mean that people in your 30s do not develop high blood pressure and high cholesterol? Of course people do, but that is not the majority. Now, um, contrast that with people in their 60s. The majority of people in their 60s have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, you name it, all of that, right? So it's expected for someone in their 60s to have that. So someone who's in their 60s and has high blood pressure, that is not considered, uh, well, that's considered normal for their age group. But if you're in your 30s and you have high blood pressure, that is not considered normal, right? So now you'll be rated substandard more than likely because your, you know, your health um, condition, your health condition or your health history is, is, is worse off than the average. So you're gonna um, get a um, substandard rating, all right? So, so, worse than average medical history, physical condition, lifestyle, and habits. These people, substandard risks, always pays the highest premium, okay? So you have to know these guys. Substandard risks, these people who get 
greater substandard pay, the highest premium. It's almost like for car insurance. Those who have the worst speeding, uh, you know, uh, driving record always pay the most premium. And those who have the best driving record will always pay the less, um, least premium, right? So preferred, these are better than average medical history, physical condition, lifestyle, and habits. And these people will always pay the lowest premium, all right? Let's move on. Let's move on here. Yeah, we're on to the next question. It says, what purpose does the bio guide serve? First of all, what is a bio guide? You have to know that. But let's read the option choices. It says, to provide the name and address of the agent slash producer issuing the policy. B, it says, show all riders in full contract. C, it says, allow consumers to compare prices by reading about the premium, dividends, benefit amount of different policies. D says, compares the relative strength of all insurers in the applicant state. So first of all, what is a bias guy? A bias guy is a generic um, brochure, right? It can be a brochure, it can be a pamphlet, it can be a fly, whatever, but is mandated by the National Ins uh, Association of Insurance Commissioners, that's NAIC, National uh, Association of Insurance Commissioners. So they mandate that before you sell any client, any type of life insurance policy that you have to give them a buyer's guide. So the buyer's guide will just have general information um, about just the different types of life insurance policies and is going to um, just give them general information, you know, generic information, nothing specific, but just generic, just comparing different policies, you know, their, their benefits, this, you know, their disadvantages, um, you know, average prices or average premiums and all of that, just for um, someone to have an idea about what they're getting, right? That is the bias guide. So in this case, the correct answer will be C, is this allow consumers to compare prices by reading about the premium, dividends, benefit amount of different policies. So they're just, they're just reading about just general information, okay? The key word is um, you know, general um, information. A cannot be the correct answer. It says to provide the name and address to the agent or producer issuing the policy. Nope. B cannot be the correct answer. It says show all riders in full contract. Again, this is a filler. Compare the relative strength of all insurers in the applicant state. No, okay, that's not. This would be more. <coughs> excuse me. Um, this this is going to be more for a rating age. Uh, no, for a rating agency. Uh, no, a rating agency. It will be something like AM Best, um, where they're going to rate the insurance companies based on their financial strength. All right, so let's so let's come here and read our let's let's come here and read our answer choice. It says um, the buyers the buyers guy provides general. You see the key word is general. The buyers guy provides general, not specific. No general information about various insurance policies. 
The provided information helps the consumer make an informed decision by allowing the consumer to compare prices for different policies, taking into account the premium, benefit amount, etc. The information is written in layman's language, okay? It's not going to be written in insurance jargon. Within the buyer's guide is the policy summary. The policy summary helps consumers evaluate the suitability of a given insurance um, policy. All right? All right. Let's move on. We are making progress. Number 12. So it says, um, insurable interest must exist during which period in a life insurance policy. Now guys, when I'm doing these questions, please take the exams along with me, all right? Please take the exams along with me. In that way, you can be able to see whether you're getting the right answer or not. That is just a way to test yourself and just see how much you know the material. So insurable interest must exist during which period in the life in a life insurance policy. It says A says time of policy delivery. B says time of proof of loss. C says changing beneficiary. And D says application. First of all, what is insurable interest? Right? You have to know what is insurable interest. Insurable interest is just a relationship that must exist between the applicant and, you no, know, uh, it must exist between the applicant and the proposed insurer where there must be some kind of um, um, potential for either an emotional, you no, know, either emotional loss uh, or, or, or emotional suffering and or financial loss. So for example, if your mother dies, she's, well, there'll be an emotional loss, right? And if you're underage, there, there is a good chance that she's financially responsible for you. So if she dies, you are going to um, experience a financial loss in addition to an emotional loss, right? So that is insurable interest. So most state laws, not most all state laws require that there must be insurable interest before you can sell a policy to anyone. So in this case, at what time must that exist? For test purposes, just know that insurable interest only has to exist at the time of application. So for example, um, Mary and John, they're happily married today. Um, John gets a $1 million life insurance policy on Mary. Six months later, <coughs> um, John and Mary file for divorce. Now, when they file for divorce, there's no more any insurable interest because John and Mary, they don't really have any, any child. They don't really have anything in common. You know, this everything, split everything in half and when they're married with. So John no longer has insurable interest in Mary. Mary no longer has insurable interest in John. So in that case, it doesn't matter right so the policy will not be canceled because insurable interest no longer existed all that matters is insurable interest existed at the time of application 
okay? Not at the time of policy delivery, not at the time of proof of loss, but at application. When you take that application for the client, insurable interest must exist at that time and also doing the underwriting process. But the best answer is at the time of application. So we know all these other answers are wrong, okay? Insurable interest can only exist at the time of application. So correct answer is D, time of application. So it says insurable interest in life insurance must exist at the time of application. By law, insurers are mandated to decline an insurance application if no insurable interest exists between the insured and the applicant slash policy owner. Again, policy owner is the same as um, policy holder. And most of the time, they're the same as the applicant. An individual does not have to prove insurable interest in themselves because it is assumed that individuals have an unlimited insurable interest in themselves. So for test purposes, it may ask, um, um, John wants to get a $50,000 life insurance policy. John is going to be the, um, you know, the insured on his policy. Um, you know, then it will ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, who has insurable interest in John? Then it's, uh, or it may say all of the following have insurable interest in John, except John. Then John's um, you know, um, spouse, um, John's um, business partner, um then uh it may throw something there john's um, neighbor of course the correct answer would be john's neighbor that's wrong john's neighbor doesn't have insurable interest in john but john's spouse will have insurable interest in john because she's emotionally connected and you know if john dies she's going to experience emotional and financial loss john's business partner is going to experience financial loss if John dies. And for insurance purposes and for the law, it is assumed that people have insurable interest in themselves. That means that people do not want to do anything to hurt themselves, right? They want the best for themselves. So for test purposes, just know that um, individuals, right? So individuals have unlimited Insurable, insurable <laughs> interest in themselves. All right, so for test purposes, just know that individuals have unlimited insurable interest in themselves. Keyword is unlimited. All right. Moving along, moving along. Question, next question here. It says, Princess won a $20 million jackpot and was told that she will receive a monthly check each month um, for the next 20 years. What type of annuity product will make this possible? Again, we're on annuities. So annuities, for example purposes, they're somewhere in the middle. They are not difficult, but they are not easy. <laughs> so they are just they just have that sweet spot. Uh, you're going to have a good number of questions from um, annuity. So yeah, what is the correct answer? So let's go to the list. Number one, it says A says immediate annuity. 
B says deferred interest annuity. C says variable annuity. D says deferred annuity. So let's read this question one more time. It says Princess won $20 million jackpot that was that was uh that was and was told that she will receive a monthly check each month for the first 20 years. What type of annuity product um, will make this possible? So they want to know if you are the agent, who you recommend to princess. Now, so just keep in mind that annuities are the opposite of life insurance. Life insurance is meant to create, um, you know, like to pay out, uh, you know, a death benefit is, uh, is, is, is usually meant to uh, leave something behind for your survivors. Life insurance is meant to protect you from the risks of premature death. On the other hand, um, annuity is the exact opposite, right? So annuity is actually meant to protect you against living too long because sometimes you live too long, you outlive your money. You see people who are in their 70s and you see them pushing cars at Walmart because they're so poor and I guess they didn't plan well and now they have to suffer in their old age. So annuity pretty much guarantees your income for life. So when you have a lump sum payment, uh, when you have lump sum of money, you can go ahead and purchase an annuity. And, and so you, let's say you have this part of money, you purchase an annuity, then the annuity, uh, the insurance company, and an annuity is sold by insurance company, then it's almost like you put all your money um, in, in a bucket, right? And then the annuity, the insurance company will, you know, will connect a pipe from the bucket to you and slowly release all that money back to you with interest over time. That is an, um, that is an annuity, all right? So uh, an annuity is the opposite. If you have lump sum, then you can just make one-time one payment. Then the insurance company will graduate. It can be every month, every, every quarter, every six months, will give you regular payments for the rest of your life. So if you just have one payment and you're going to, you want to get payment immediately, that's considered immediate annuity. It's not deferred, all right? So that will be considered immediate annuity. So correct answer will be immediate annuity. Let's, let's go here, deferred interest annuity. There's nothing called deferred interest annuity. So no B is wrong. C says variable annuity. So, so variable annuity is a, is a type of annuity um, where you as the policy owner bear all of the investment risks. So you can make a lot of um, money in interest, sometimes 20, 25% interest, but you can just as much lose all of that because it's invested in the stock market and it's put into a separate account. So when you think variable annuity, think separate account, think um, the, the owner um, bears all the investment risks and you need both a securities license and uh, a life insurance license to sell that. So let me let me write this here if it's not here. So it's uh, variable annuity. So you know you need um, life insurance license plus securities 
license to sell. Now, um, owner bears investment risks. And invested in separate account. And um, payments not guaranteed, um, payment amounts not guaranteed. So once you start receiving monthly benefit payment or quarterly or whatever it is, that amount is not guaranteed. You know, that amount fluctuates with the market because your money is invested, you know, it's not tied to the stock market or something, you no. Know? So, so when the stock market does fall this month, well, you're gonna get a lot of money. If it does buy next month, you, you get little. So the um, payment amount varies. And you specify your benefit payment amount varies. And um, payment amounts are calculated. Using accumulation, accumulation units. Okay. So that's all you need to know for variable annuity. All right. Uh, then, then deferred annuity is the annuity where you're making regular payments um, towards, and it's not like you're just making one. Um, payment into it and then expect to immediately start receiving benefits within 30 days. So immediate annuity is an annuity where you're you're going to start receiving payment um, within within one year. But most of the time it's 30 days. So anytime you start receiving payments within one year of uh, making your annuity contract effective, that is considered immediate annuity. If it's greater than one year, that's considered deferred annuity. So deferred means you're just postponing. All right, so let's look here at the correct answer and the explanation. It says annuities, right? So for this arrangement, a 25-year fixed period distribution annuities purchased with a single lump sum payment will do just fine, okay? Again, 25-year fixed period distribution annuities purchase of a single lump sum will be uh, do just fine. So annuities, as I said, annuities are insurance products that provide income for a fixed number of years or for life. It protects against outliving your money. It's the opposite of life insurance, liquidates an estate. So annuity people liquidate. So you have an estate, you have money. It liquidates that money over time, whereas life insurance actually creates an estate. So you pay into it and it builds up your estate over time. Okay. What is estate? Estate is just everything you own that's worth money. All right. So parties to an annuity contract. Who are the parties? You have the owner. So the owner is, you know, the owner for annuity uh, can be a corporation, trust, or a natural person. Again, Owner for annuity can be a corporation, trust, or natural person. Then the other party to an annuity contract, you have the annuitant. This is the um, person who receives benefits and is also the insured. Okay. 
Um, and the owner and annuity are usually um, the same um, individual, but they can be different. But keep in mind that the annuitant must be a natural person. So meaning the annuitant must be a human being. That means the insurer for annuity must be a human being. It cannot be a corporation or trust. It says beneficiary receives benefit if annuitant dies. So the beneficiary receives the annuity payment if the um, annuitant dies. But as long as the annuitant is still alive, and they're supposed to start receiving benefit payments to continue to receive benefit payments. Um, then the payment options. So for payment options, you can either have single premium payments or you can have periodic premium payments. That means you're paying um, you know, over time, little by little over time. Um, the investment option, it can either be fixed or variable. That means fixed, meaning you're getting a fixed interest rate. Most of the time, the average is 5%. So we're going to give you 5% fixed interest rate. We guarantee you that it won't go less than that, but that's pretty much it. Or it could be variable, right? Uh, meaning you bear all the investment risks. That's what we said, right? You can make a lot of money, but you can also lose a lot of money. The payout options, this is the benefit accumulation option. You can either do immediate. So immediate is considered anything within one year, okay? Uh, within one year, it's considered immediate. And then deferred is anything greater than one year. All right. We are moving on, moving on, moving on. All right. We just have two more questions to go, two more to go. Then we're going to go to health insurance. All right. So it says, Jaden, a high school soccer coach, purchased a 20-year guaranteed renewable and convertible level term policy. What will happen at the end of the 20-year term? Let's read this one more time. Jaden, a high school soccer coach, purchased a 20-year guaranteed renewable and convertible level term policy. What will happen at the end of the 20-year term? So first of all, what is term insurance? You have two types of insurance. You have, um, you have permanent insurance and you have term insurance. So term insurance is temporary insurance. It's just an abbreviation for temporary insurance. Permanent insurance, that just means what it says, right? It's, it's permanent. It lasts a lifetime, you know, usually up to age 121 with the newer policies. The older policies will be up to age 100, but the newer policies after um, 2001, they're all up to age 121. So term insurance is usually cheaper than than permanent insurance thing about term insurance as renting a house versus owning a house so it starts out that renting a house is usually cheaper than owning a house but in the long run it gets more expensive because every year prices will go up rent goes up every year right but your mortgage starts up high but it kind of stays level compared to a rent right so every time you go to renew your lease your rent goes up Right, so that's term insurance. So uh, let's read the option here. It says, so it says, what will happen at the end of the 20-year term? It says, evidence of insurability must be shown 
um, before renewal. That's A. B says the policy can only be converted to another term policy. C says the insurer has the right to renew the policy for another 20 years at the same premium rate. D says at a, at a higher premium rate, the policy may be renewed for another 20 years. All right. So, so what is the correct answer? What are we looking for? It says at the end of the 20 year, what will happen? We know that at the end of the 20 year, the premium is going to go higher, right? The policy may be renewed for another 20 years. So every at the end of every term, in this case, he has a 20-year term insurance. So that means his length of time, he's renting that insurance for 20 years. So again, think about this as, as a lease. Let's say you sign a two-year lease or three-year lease. You're going to pay, let's say your rent is $1,000. You're going to pay that $1,000 every month for the duration of your lease. So if your lease is two years or three years, you're going to pay that. But guess what? When you go to renew your lease, bam, your no your uh, lease, no your no your rent will be increased, right? Because prices are always going up. So for insurance, we're always getting older. Insurance company based premium. One of the things they base the premium on is your age. So the older you get, the more expensive. Um, life insurance gets. Why? Because the older you get, the more likely you are to die. So you are higher risk to the insurance company than someone who's younger. So someone who's 20 years old is a lower risk to the insurance company than someone who is 50 years old. Because someone who is 50 is closer to death. Again, with all things being equal, someone who is 50 is closer to death than someone who is 20. So the person who is 20 is less risky to the insurance company. So insurance company price the risks based on premiums. So if you're more risky, you're going to pay more. And if you're less risky, you're going to pay little. So that's why when you go to renew your term insurance, you're always going to end up paying way more every time you renew because you are older. When you renew your um, term insurance, it's going to be based on your current age or on the exam. It's called a teened age. So for exam purposes, a teened age, Again, this is just insurance jargon. At a teen age is equal to current age. Okay, so just know that they won't say current, they're just going to say a teen age, but just know that those are the same. And let's go back. What's another name for a producer? Let's make sure we have this down. You want to guess what's another name for a producer? All right, we say agent, right? Perfect. What's another name for uh, an insurance company? Insurance company. What's another name? Another name for an insurance company is insurer. And what is one more name for a producer or agent? Your fuel underwriter. Okay. okay. Um, your fuel underwriter. What is another name for a policy holder? Another name is a policy owner. Okay. So just know um, these. I don't know. Is that synonyms? Synonyms are. 
yeah, things that have synonym meaning, yeah. So know these, uh, these synonyms, guys, is gonna make um, it's gonna make your experience on the exam a lot easier. So let's come here to D, uh, not the feedback. It says, without evidence of insurability, policies that are guaranteed renewable and convertible can be renewed for another like term or converted to a permanent insurance. So Jade and Year had a guaranteed renewable. So guaranteed renewable just means that insurance is guaranteeing you that you can renew your policy. So let's say in this case, Jaden has a 20 year term, right? So it's guaranteed renewable. Now keep in mind, these are riders. Riders are, think about riders as, um, as add-ons, right? So it's like you, you know, it's like you go to get something at a store and then they add things onto it. So riders are add-ons, um, you know, to your policy, they're extras. So you can pay extra for guaranteed renewability. So all that does is guarantees you that you're gonna uh, renew your policy um, uh, when it comes time to renew. So you can't go to renew and insurance company says, oh, oh, I'm sorry, we're not renewing your policy anymore. So if you have guarantee, um, um, I'm sorry, your, your guarantee renewable policy, you know that you, you're guaranteed to renew that policy. And it, um, guarantee convertible means that you are guaranteed to convert that policy. So now you can convert that policy to a term insurance, which is most of the time starts out to be cheaper than permanent, or you can convert it to a permanent insurance policy. Now, what I tell my clients who need life insurance, I tell them you can start with a term insurance and then uh, get a guarantee insurability rider and um, uh, get a, um, a guarantee um, convertibility rider. And now you can convert that once your financial situation improves in the future, because if you're young, chances are your income will increase um, over time. So you can get a term policy for now, cheap 20, 30, 40 bucks a month. And then once your income um, increases, down the line, then you can convert that to a permanent policy. So, so we know that for him, <coughs> there is no need for him to show evidence of insurability because he has a um, uh, renewable contract. So it doesn't matter what happens to him, you know, it's guaranteed to be renewed. So we know this answer is wrong because he doesn't need to show evidence of insurability now. If he did not have guarantee insure, uh, guarantee um, renewable rider, then yes, this would have been correct, but that's not the case. Since the policy can only be converted to another term, no, this word only is what makes it wrong, okay? On the exam, these little things get tricky. So you can convert it to um, a term policy or uh, a permanent policy. You see, insurer has the right to renew the policy for another 20 years at the same premium rate. So everything year up to year at the same, you know, for another 20 years, right? Perfect, it's all correct. But what makes it wrong is here that says at the same premium rate. He has the um, right to renew the policy for another 20 years, but it's gonna be based on a higher premium because it's gonna be based on his attained age, meaning his current age. All right. So guys, we're on the last question for life insurance. All right. 
last question here says, which of the following are the two main features of a universal policy? A says policy loans and interest. B says insurance and cash amount. C says insurance and cash uh, account. D says mortality and separate account. Let me read this again. Which of the following are the two main features of a universal policy? A says policy loans and interest. B says insurance and cash amount. No. C says insurance and cash account. And D says mortality and separate account. So you have to know for universal policies, there are just some things to know about universal policies, right? So universal policies, right? Let me write here, universal policies. This is a form of permanent life insurance, okay? So on a universal policies, when you think universal, think flexible. It's a flexible policy. So, so flexibility is the key feature of insurance. So under that flexibility, that the premiums are flexible. You can increase, decrease your premiums if you want. So premiums are flexible. The death benefit is, is flexible. You can increase or decrease the death benefit. Now, keep in mind, another name for death benefit, another name for death benefit is face amount. So on the exam, what I've noticed recently is that they don't, they don't um, ask death benefit. Most of the time, they're going to say face amount. So you have to know these synonyms that, because if you don't know that face amount is the same as death benefit, you're going to get that question wrong. And then we know that universal policies all, you know, also have, a, because they are permanent policies, right? They, they have two, um, they have a cash account. Now, another name for cash account is cash value. So cash value is like your savings account. So universal policies, like all um, permanent policies combine insurance, and cash account or insurance and um, you know, and cash value. So your cash value is like a savings account in your insurance policy that you can take loans from, uh, you can be able to uh, make withdrawals from and all of that, all right? So that is just an, uh, an overview of universal policies. Now you have different types of um, permanent policies. You have whole life, and then whole, on the whole life, you have a whole bunch of other policies. I'm not going to go into here. You have universal life. Universe, universal life. Then on the universal life, you have different policies like index universal life. You have variable universal life and, and all of that. Then you have adjustable life. Then you have something called MEC, Modified Endowment Contract. Okay, and we're going to go into that in detail. Okay, so yeah, let's read the answer. It says, insurance and cash account, aka cash value, are two features of a universal policy. The insurance feature of a universal life policy is always annually renewable term. Notice, so that converts every single year, annual renewable term. 
the cash account or cash value grows on a tax deferred basis and earns either the guaranteed contract rate or the or current rate, whichever is, is higher. So one of the benefits of um, a universal policy over a whole life policy, number one, the premiums are more flexible. You can decrease, increase your premiums for whole life. It's not that flexible. For universal life, you can increase, decrease your, uh, no, your death benefit. And for, um, I'm sorry, for universal life, you can increase, decrease uh, your death benefit for a whole life, not like that. And the biggest thing too with universal life policies is that you know, they usually give you higher interest rates, right? Whole life usually gives you very low, they'll give you low fixed interest rate, you know, most of the time between two to if you're lucky, maybe 5%. But I don't know of any whole life policy that gives you more than 5%, right? But universal life insurance policies, they usually provide higher interest rates. So people who want to use your life insurance for retirement or for savings plan or uh, as a savings account, not just for death benefit. I usually recommend universal life insurance um, um, policies to those people and to be more specific, index universal life insurance. All right, guys. So that brings us to the end of our life insurance. Those questions. Now, think about this for a second, right? So you are going to have those questions, right? You're going to have, we just went over a few questions, very, very few, I don't mean less than, less than 20 questions, very few questions. But think about how much you learn from those questions, right? Now, just imagine now doing a thousand of those questions. Come on. If you do a thousand of those questions, I can guarantee you 99.9%. .9 if you do everything that you're supposed to do, if you get enough rest, you know, you get at least seven hours of sleep, you do everything you're supposed to do, I guarantee you 100%. If you get enough sleep and you do at least a thousand questions, it is impossible you're going to fail your exam. Impossible. And you see how good and how detailed those questions are because our questions are also used for you to learn, not just to test, but for you to learn. So, <laughs> excuse me. Let me get a sip of water, man. Should keep getting dry. So guys, those are just a few questions. I hope you learned something, but you see how detailed the questions are. Again, if you like just these sample questions and the explanation, think about how much more benefit you can get when you enroll in our course, you have access to a thousand questions with these kind of detailed explanations where you have access to the podcast explanation. So you can listen to it while you're driving, while you're at work, you're at the gym, you're, you know, you're exercising, right? So you're listening to know everything you just heard is also on our podcast. So you're listening to it also, or uh, you have the, the printed material. You can also order that. So you have so many ways, guys, our questions. That's why I say we're here to revolutionize the um, life and health um, insurance exam prep industry. We've been doing so well, even though we're brand new, we're the new kid on the block, but I kid you not, we are taking names, man. We are we are taking names and we are 
breaking everything down and helping people changing lives. 100% of our students pass the exam. But what even gets me more excited about that is not just they pass the exam, but most of those people, we stay in contact with them to help to make sure they succeed on their insurance journey. So uh, thank you very much. Let's stop here and we're going to now proceed to uh, the next subsection of this, which will be the health insurance exam questions. All right.